everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bourbon Showdown podcast. My name's Jesse Jones, and on the episode today, we have Lisa Wicker of Widow Jane. What a great conversation. I can't I can't thank her enough for being on the show. I thoroughly enjoyed picking her brain on everything bourbon and how she got started. And she's just a wealth of knowledge on the industry and distilling and just a nice person. I, I can't I can't say it enough. She really was so fun to talk to, and we appreciate her time and her being on the program. She had spent her morning blending whiskey before we talked. It, it, I mean, what a cool way to start your day. And then she spoke to us. She's at Widow Jane while we're talking. You can hear people in the background. If you hear noise, that's literally whiskey being made behind you in the background of this episode. That's how cool this episode is. So thank you, Lisa, for being on the program. I look forward to having uh, bourbon with you in the future in person once this whole wackiness gets over in New York. So this is this week's episode of the Bourbon Showdown podcast. If you would, please go to Apple, go to Spotify, like, subscribe, do all of the podcast things. Head over to Instagram and like us there as well. You can find the video version of this on YouTube later in the week. But for right now, this is the Bourbon Showdown podcast. This is Lisa Wicker from Widow Jane. Enjoy, everybody. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm I'm good. It's been a busy week so far. You've got the best name. How'd you had how'd your family come up with your name? Uh, Jesse Jones has actually been in my family since prior to the Civil War. Oh, um, yeah, that's awesome. And it stops with me, unfortunately. The uh, my wife's name is also Jesse. So when my son was born, there was that conversation where we we can't. It just should we? Mm -mm, I don't think we should. You can't introduce an entire group of people to Jesse Jones <laughs> and, and have it apply to like me, her, him. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I had, I had some friends that were Kim and Kim. Oh yeah. yes. Yes. It's uh, when, when we got together, all of our friends sort of took us collectively aside and was like, no, please don't do this to the group. We, we need you two specifically to not date. I was like, well, mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so how's your day going so far? I've been blending whiskey all morning. Hey, so you're better than <laughs> better than most of us. Yeah, I am. This is all R&D. Oh, so that's know. awesome. <laughs> yeah, just making sure it's blended right. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. I really don't do this every day. <laughs> Me neither. Really <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I protest too much, right? You know? You're at least doing it as part of your job. I, I, I'm doing it as a uh, perimeter to my job. Oh, I know. It's so funny because, you know, I'm working on getting some stuff together for my boss, bosses, plural, and um, because we're going to have to do a, the stuff that they usually fly to New York for so that we can, you know, go through things that I'm working on. I'm going to have to put them all in the box, you know, and send them away to them and and I thought, oh my gosh, how many people get to, you know, send liquor to their bosses <laughs> that you're going to drink during the work day? Yeah, that's right. And not get in trouble for it. Like, get, in trouble. get in trouble if you don't send it. <laughs> that's that's a, just an amazing yeah. stratosphere. Yeah, it is. It is really fortunate. 
I guess let's start there. What, what does your typical day look like at Widow Jane? Um, there isn't a typical typical day. Every I started making alcohol 20 years ago. And one of the things that appeals to me is the fact that you think you're going to go in and you think you're going to have this, you know, this checklist, right? And um, it doesn't ever work out that way. You know, there's things happening, you know, whether it's boiler problems or, you know, shipping things or lots of orders coming in that you didn't anticipate or, yeah, you know. That's um, interesting. So it's just like, it's just like other jobs where the good part of your job is better than most people's, but there's yes. still the other side of work where there's clerical and meetings and Zoom meetings that don't involve whiskey. Although I'd say most of yours probably do, right? They do. That's awesome. <laughs> they do. Yeah. I, we have been so busy that I worked through our last, you know, like the whole company meeting thing. I worked right through it. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> you've got kind of a reputation for that, don't you? Like you are a, like you don't stop until it is done and done correctly. Yeah. I, it's, uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> There's so many different ways to take that. Yes. Well, yes. Am I particular about the quality of the product that we're putting out? Absolutely. Yes. Well, that, that's uh, oh, completely the, the quality of the products. What I what I meant, I, I'm referencing specifically. I was reading an article with you where you ha would be out until like two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning tending the still just to yes. make sure that you got what you needed from it. Absolutely. And also just because that's what my boss needed from me. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's been a crazy ride. When I started with Limestone Branch, when I moved over from winemaking to distilling, you know, we were working 60 to 80 hours a week. Wow. Um, and so you, you look back on it, you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't do anything else but work during that time. And, you know, occasionally see my family, but um, you look back and like, oh my gosh, well, I got, you know, in three years, I got six years of experience. So <laughs> totally. I mean, that's perfect. That's exactly, that's the trade-off, right? The time for the time. Yes. Yeah. And then I moved on to um, Starlight in, and the same thing. I was, you know, there was two of us splitting distilling duties because he had small children. He was the first guy in in the morning and then I came in midday and uh, always the last person out. So anything that went wrong during the day, time-wise, you know, you had to make up at nighttime. So, right. yeah, crazy late nights. And it's not something you can really speed up. It's something that you've got to go with it until it's done. Like it's... Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, that or, you know, your coworker forgets to record that he ran a bunch of rye mash into a... Uh, fermenter so you think that there's empty space and they're 14 feet tall and you start running more rye mash into it and it's all you know it's 11 o'clock at night and it's all coming over the top let's see <laughs> and you're by yourself mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. what what could make somebody forget how much they've put into the cylinder <laughs> yes I, I seem like uh i i i would I think if you were to like re-add alcohol into the workspace, you would fix probably as many problems as you created. I read this thing that like Queen Elizabeth every day, she has a gin and tonic for lunch every day. Oh, that's like, awesome. I know. I think, well, no wonder, right? You know, how old is she? She's been, you know. That makes yeah. me feel so regal because <laughs> I've been known to do the same. I know. It's best. There was a guy who passed recently. Uh, my, my dad, I never know if my dad's telling me stories about people he knew or people that he's read about because he's old enough. He doesn't discern the difference anymore. Like, oh, my father did that before he passed away. Yeah. It, so I don't know if this is somebody from national news or, right. or Troy from down the street, but. <laughs> 
he passed away at 101. And the only thing that he attributed his long life to was he woke up and took a shot of whiskey every morning before he started his day. I totally believe that. I totally believe that the woman that owned that, you know, my primary residence is still Bardstown, Kentucky, and I own a house that's over 200 years old there. And the woman that owned it before I did, she died at 104. She bought the house in her 50s, so she lived there for 50 some years. And, wow. um, but she was a whiskey drinker. And so I'm going to drop a name here. Fred No lives up the street the other way, right? And um, he said when he was working a liquor store in Bardstown, we got in a little trouble in college, then um, he, would deliver whiskey to the house that I live in to the woman that lived there. And he said, but she wouldn't put her whiskey bottles in the trash. She'd put the case in the bottom of her closet because she was always known to be really elegantly dressed. So she had these beautiful clothes and he said, I'd have to go in and push the clothes apart. And then I'd take the empty case out and I'd put a full case in <laughs> the bottles, but she lived to 104. That's awesome. Own. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I, yeah. I love the respect people had for their personal image back then. <laughs> I know it. I know it. You're going to have to come it. in and get the whiskey bottles. At no point did that lady ever wear a pair of jogging pants to an airport <laughs> with like a name brand written across the bottom. No, she did not. No, she, she, no, it was definitely, yes, it's definitely her hair was always done and she might be wearing leopard. I've seen some photographs where she was wearing leopard, but um, yeah. That's awesome. awesome. Uh, that makes me think of uh, our our wedding my grandmother, she, uh, she very, very similar, very proper, never have a hair out of place, just everything's just elegance. And she uh, leans over to me at my wet, on my wedding day, and she goes, look at all of these women drinking. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's a different time, Grandma. We don't have to, like, sneak a snort out of the fridge when nobody's looking. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that story. <laughs> She's uh, for a couple. I'm going to get in trouble if I tell too much. Yes, I try. I try. I always end up like talking about my kids or my family or something like that. And they're like, Mom. Like, oh, well, I mean, that's what I do. Like my kids are almost to the age where they're going to start seeing videos of some of my stuff. And, and my son specifically is not going to be happy. Yeah, my kids are grown, grown. So one of their favorite, favorite holiday you know, games is like, let's have a couple drinks and remind mom of all of the poor parenting decisions she made. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm tired of this game. <laughs> let's let's do all, another game. Know, let's, 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 let's talk about the bad decisions you guys have made for a while. They do that too. <laughs> I don't want to hear that stuff. Right? Oh, that used to be whosoever house when we would come home from college for like holidays and whatnot, whosoever house we ended up at, we would always make sure to tell their parents all of the things that was happening under their noses when they thought we were just being good in the basement or out up to zero, uh, up to, you know, oh yeah, you remember the night that like uh, we funneled a whole case of ice house and then you threw up all over your mom's and you, and her, his mom's just sitting there mortified. Like we thought you guys were reading the Bible. Like, no. All right. I, I got to stop myself or I will ramble this entire time. Uh, I've, I've been looking forward to talking to you all week. Uh, we had a wonderful pre-conversation last week and it's so nice when there's somebody that shares uh, uh, my, 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 my love of talking. So I appreciate you being on. Uh, real quick for people at home that may not know, could you give me a, a brief history of, of Widow Jane and, and the product you've been distilling? Yes. Um, Widow Jane um, is eight years old. We just celebrated our eighth anniversary. I've been with the project for three and a half years. 
the um, previous owner was here until I guess about four years ago. He sold the distillery to Samson Surrey, our parent company. Nice. Um, they started out with rum. It was originally a chocolate factory, and they decided they were going to do a chocolate rum. So that's how they got into the spirits business. So they ended up sourcing a lot of barrels um, back in the day that not necessarily everybody was disclosing that they were sourcing barrels and got started with the brand that way. Um, they had sort of a cult following when I got here, and we've been able to um, you know, build on that and um, expand the brand dramatically. So one of the first things I was tasked to do is take the 10 year flagship and to turn it into a blend that we could not drop the age statement on. We wanted to keep the 10 year age statement. So in order to do that, I blend uh, five barrel small batch now, which replaced our original single barrels. And so I blend across Indiana, Kentucky and Tennessee for that. Just blended my 300 batch of that this week. Oh, wow. Yes. So it's really uh, taken off. And then um, now we still have single barrels. They used to be Kentucky single barrels. Now they're Indiana single barrels, but um, that goes under our lucky 13 label. We had a 12 year old for a while and then it all turned 13. And I told my boss, it's like, we should call this like unlucky 13. He's like, Lisa, we are not calling anything unlucky. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, how lucky 13. I'm like, okay. It was a very, actually a pretty brief conversation. <laughs> and so we've had quite the success with that because, you know, they're beautiful old 13 year old Indiana barrels. Right. And so, um, that we have that. And then we've been blending. Um, I released a 14 year old. It was a blend of 14 to 16 year old last year. Um, we just released a 15 year old this year. I just, I'm working today on my second batch of the 15 year old, this 15 to 17 year old whiskey, Indiana and Tennessee. And um, we've released a, dec a product called Decadence. Um, it's a, a standalone blend. I make sure that the blend itself is um, good whiskey. And uh, we rebarrel that in the Crown Maple Syrup. Um, maple syrup barrels. And um, we just released a benefit for um, USBG and CORE, Children of Restaurant Employees. 100% of the profits will go to those two organizations. It's COVID relief. That's awesome. Um, under the label, you'll never walk alone. Yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah. And so that's our blended, you know, sourcing and blending side of it. Um, our other side of the project is a one of a kind open pollinated heirloom corn. And that's what we're laying barrels down with. So um, we're still distilling here in New York. Um, we were on the road to a expansion until COVID hit. So we all, that's on hold. Um, we're still going to pursue that. But um, we were actually pretty close to starting the project when COVID shut us down on that. Um, but we'll be able to expand the distillery here. So in the meantime, uh, we have in New York corn coming to New York um, to be distilled here. Then we have seed corn growing in Pennsylvania with one of the original farmers that helped um, with the open pollinated cross between two heirlooms. And then we grow in Kentucky and I run barrels at Castle and Key. Um, my uh, bosses did something beautiful and uh, made arrangements so that we use my protocol because I cook heirloom corn quite differently than um, yellow dent. And um, so it's my protocol, um, our corn and their staff. And so we're running and laying barrels down there until I can repatriate everything to New York. That's awesome. And, and your corn specifically, you've got a certain uh, baby Jane is, yes. is the name of the corn that you produce. Yes, it's trademarked. It's uh, the parents are Bloody Butcher in Wapsie Valley. I love that um, name. Bloody Butcher <laughs> is my absolute favorite name of any of these that I've come across so far. Just to yes. say that you're popping open a bottle of Bloody Butcher rye sounds awesome. <laughs> you know, I know. It's, there's a couple of distilleries. That's all they're distilling. Uh, Jeff the Creed 
Um, that's all they're distilling. Um, part, I think part of the reason I got this job was because I've been distilling Bloody Butcher at um, Starlight Distillery in Southern Indiana. Oh, so, that's awesome. Yeah. Really, heirlooms are really all I've ever distilled. I've done a little bit of yellow dent for the most part. It's all been um, heirloom corn. And that goes, are, are you, you're from Indiana, aren't you? I am. I am. Bloomington, Indiana University. Yeah. And, and you got started off, uh, I, I, while researching uh, you, I, I loved your story because everything, like all of these tidbits that I've read, like even in your youth, you've always had uh, sort of a propensity for working things backwards and taking them apart. And, and like, like your, yes. your father was a me- mechanic and, and, or an engineer. An engineer. Yeah. Mechanical and electrical engineer. And then my mother was a nurse. Yeah. So, so you would, you would like get quizzed on what the tools were and, and how they worked. Yes. In fact, part of his eulogy was my sisters and I said that we didn't know every nine-year-old girl wasn't getting quizzed on the tools in the toolbox. We had no idea. We just thought that was, you know, right. You know, it was something you were supposed to do. And we, you know, we knew how to balance gravel in a wheelbarrow, you know, all the, that's awesome. Lots of life skills, but he didn't want us to be taken advantage of. So like before we could drive, we had to know how to change a tire or change the oil. We didn't have to do it. Just know how, how to do it. Right. Most definitely. Yeah, yeah, he was a pretty remarkable man. Well, I think that's going to be a lost art for the children growing up today. I, if, if, like, I know how to change a tire. I know how to change. I don't. I don't. I choose not to change my own oil, but I do if I if I have to. Uh, it, it's going to be a whole generation of people looking to their phones to tell them how to do the thing that somebody else is going to do. It's it's a interesting transition period that we're in right now between generations. It is. It is. You're exactly right. But yeah. And so you originally got into winemaking, which makes perfect sense considering you you like to know how things work. And how did you get into winemaking? Oh, my gosh. Um, Oh, it's a long, boring story. Um, When I was growing up, um, one of my friends, his parents actually had a family winery. His dad was a law professor at Indiana University, and they started a um, small winery in just a concrete um, block garage, right? And so it was his advocation. Um, He got a lot of Indiana farm winery laws passed with a a small group of people there um, because he knew there was no alcohol sales for years in Indiana. And, um, you know, he knew that in order to, for a family business to be viable, they'd have to have Saturday and Sunday sales. And so they got all of that passed. And so I wasn't kind of absorbing all of it, but I, you know, I was in their home when a lot of this stuff was happening and, um, you know, got my head around the fact that somebody could actually make alcohol for a living, even in a non-traditional, you know, um, alcohol producing state. Well, we know now that Indiana's done a lot of distilling, but, um, I did not know at the time. And then I got married, had kids. We moved all over the country. Their father was in manufacturing um, and ended up back in Indiana. Um, and a person I had known for years, had, every time I was in his winery, he was begging me to come to work for him. I was working in the arts at the time. And finally, one day, he actually picked up the phone and called me. And it was really funny because it wasn't really there wasn't anything that he really based that off of. He knew I didn't mind getting dirty because we'd worked together in the summers at the Department of Natural Resources. So he knew I was on the maintenance group, my sister. And, and we, so he knew we didn't, you know, that I had a little bit of mechanical aptitude and um, like I said, didn't mind getting dirty. And so um, he called me and I actually said, I'm going to do this. And so I was running a costume shop that I'd founded. And, um, <laughs> because of found- course you were. 
<laughs> because before that year, before he called me, I was working as a farmhand for another winery. At the same time, I was like I was um, costuming a whole nutcracker and, and, <laughs> and harvesting grapes. So yeah, it was crazy, crazy fall. So um, yeah, so he calls me and I say yes. And, you know, and a few days in, he goes, at three days in, I knew that's what I was supposed to be doing. I was working production with he and his son. And um, finally one day he's like, can I cuss? And I'm going to try not to cuss. He said, what the heck are you, you know, what the heck did I finally say to, um, you know, get you to come to work for me? And I'm like, you really didn't. I had gone to this crazy because I knew there was something that I was supposed to be doing and I could not put my finger on it. And so I'd gone to a career counselor that I actually sent my children to. And he told me I should specifically should be working with agricultural product, a value added agricultural product. He specifically mentioned wine. It's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So when I got the phone call, I'm like, oh, it's an omen, right? That's awesome. So, you know, dumb luck and divine intervention. And so I um, went to work for him and it was the best decision I ever made. He was an incredibly smart man, gave me a lot of opportunity. You know, some days he'd let me completely off the leash. Other days, you know, he'd put me back on the show I needed, as I needed. One of my favorite stories for him, um, he gave me the best advice I've ever had in the industry is like, don't just drink your own juice. You're going to start to like it. Um, he's the one that encouraged me to start blending. Yeah, because, you know, there's some wines. He's like, you know, just go in there and tinker when you've got some time and, see, you know, see what you come up with kind of thing. And, um, um, oh, my gosh, I said three things. I said, okay, I've already forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> he gave me the best advice, right, and I can't remember it. Um, oh, I know that this, this story is he, he – he, it was a really tense day, right? And we, it was just crazy. October, we were just – even people in the three of us in production had to work retail a lot of time and retail was just swamped. And, but it's also the time when the grapes are coming in and everything just crazy. And, um, I was working on a line and it was not exactly what he wanted me to be doing at the time. And he told me finally to just get my things, my effing things and go. Right. <laughs> and, um, so I get my stuff and I go home and I'm thinking, did I get fired for the day or did I get fired forever? And so I drive back the next day and he's standing in the driveway waiting for me. And he's like, he said, uh, my wife said you wouldn't come back. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, I didn't clean all the stuff off my desk. He goes, there's a bottle of bourbon for you on your desk. Get back to work. So, yeah, you know, That's it was awesome. crazy times. But he was incredibly intelligent. And, um, uh, you know, I learned a, a tremendous amount from him. And also at that same time, met a woman from Purdue was retired Purdue. She was actually still a Purdue professor at the time and uh, had retired and then ended up retiring. But she was, you know, looked out after me. And anytime I picked up the phone, she was great or emailed her about with questions and uh, really looked out for me in those first few years. That's awesome. I, people need that. Uh, you need mentors in your career. Uh, you, you think college is going to be your mentor, but college yeah. is not. That's just no, a guidebook. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, so that's, you know, so I did that. And then my youngest was ready to graduate. She was getting you know closer to graduating from high school. And I knew it was probably time for me to move on. Um, I put some um, schoolwork together at University of California Davis, their certificate program, and um, a little bit at Purdue University and a little bit at um, Virginia Tech and patched my education together. And um, a person we were growing grape, buying grapes off of from Kentucky said, you know, I'm not going to have grapes next year. I'm going to start I'm going to build a winery. And my boss said, Lisa's ready. You should hire Lisa as your consultant. And so they did. And I went down there and they said, are you willing to move? I said, I think, you know, it depends on what you've got. And 
Um, so I ended up, you know, at their kitchen table just saying yes before I ask any details. <laughs> and, and so that's how um, I got into wine winemaking at that point. I mean, I was already in winemaking, but that's how I ended up in Kentucky. So picked Kentucky. I'd had a couple other job offers in a couple other states, but um, I wanted to learn to distill. The man that trained me to make wine, you know, we talked about bourbon and distilling all the time. We're always, you know, he's the one that really opened my uh, world up to whiskey and this bourbon in particular. And we had all these amazing discussions about, um, you know, how whiskey was made and he gave me the bugs. So I thought, well, if I get this winery in Kentucky, I'll, um, you know, I wiggled my way on the legislative committee so that I could help change the law so that I could have a still at the winery so I could make brandy. And cause I'm thinking, I mean, you know, I mean, all, all these distillers are here. I, this is where I need to learn to distill, right? Totally. So I need to beam during that time. He's just literally up the road and he's, um, so we end up helping each other out with each other's extra set of hands in the evenings sometimes. And, um, we, we started tinkering with blending up there and, um, because he I got, got a license or no, you had a license and he yes. had a, bu- a building, right? I had a license and no building. He had a building and no license. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I was making wine in a retrofitted room until I could get the building. Oh, there's the distillery dog. Hello, puppy. Um, <laughs> Hello. My chocolate yeah. lab's going to hear him. And then it's, there's the, the whole conversation is going to be one dog in New York going, I see you, but I can't hear you. And the dog in North Carolina being like, yeah, what's that noise? Exactly. So, yeah, that's how, I mean, it was, you know, I, I, like I said, we started blending in the evenings and just tinkering and playing around with stuff. And, you know, I soon learned that blending spirits was not like blending wine. There were some similarities, but it certainly wasn't the same. And then during all of that time, the owners decided to get divorced, the winery owners, which um, isn't, unfortunately, isn't uncommon in the wine world. (laughs) You know, um, I had a few friends that have lost their jobs that way. Um, I saw the writing on the wall because I did have friends that had lost their jobs that way. And so, I um, booked a uh, flight to Sonoma because I thought, well, I'm going to have to go out there and see if I can work. It was like in May. I thought I'm going to have to go out there and and see if I can work a harvest. Then I'll come back to Kentucky and regroup. And I resigned the winery one day and Paul and Steve Beam, you know, of course I told Steve and and Paul and Steve Beam took me to dinner the next night and hired me full time. So I got into distilling uh, a lot faster than I ever dreamed I would. That's crazy. Just uh, a a beam brought you into (laughs) distilling. I know. Isn't that crazy? You know. It's like Elvis showed up and asked you if you wanted to play guitar, you know? <laughs> I know. It's crazy. And, you know, we work so many crazy hours, but every once in a while, you know, it's like we just need to take a break. And so, you know, we get in my truck or his truck and we would go out to these old, he knew where all the old distillery sites were, even though there was no trace left of that distillery. You know, he's like, oh, there's springs over that hillside or because his mother was a dant. Dad was a bean, but his mom was a dance. Right, right. And they had a history of whiskey themselves, didn't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The JW Damp brand still on the shelf, right? And and so, yeah. And so he just knew all of these places, and he'd ask permission for us to go, you know, walk around some of these sites. And, and uh, boy, you know, I love history, right? So it was just, it, you know, it was just amazing education while I was there. That's awesome. Uh, I mean, the best education you could have hoped for by the best professor there could have been. Yes. So I was there three years until Luxco purchased them and I was the number two guy. Right. So I got fired and it was, yeah, a little, a little tough there for a minute. And, and, um, but if I bought a company 
and I had controlling interests. I would not want the two guys that were there from the previous company, right? I of mean, of course, it sense, right? an unfortunate so, side effect of that game. Yes, yes, exactly. And so I had an offer immediately out of South Carolina, um, of somebody in my life that um, knew me from distilling already and knew after three years that I was pretty insane about it. Um, put my name in the hat and I turned that down and they countered with consulting. So I started consulting in, in South Carolina immediately and then um, had an offer from a really amazing distillery that I would have never dreamed in a million years um, would have given me an offer and they did. And um, I was getting ready to accept it and Ted Huber found out I was on the market and I'd known Ted for years because um, he'd had a winery. Right. And so um I'd known him for years for winemaking and he found out I was, he already knew I was distilling, but he found out I was on the market and um, called me and said, don't accept that offer until, you know, I have a chance to talk to you. And um, I was supposed to accept the offer on a Friday. He's like, come talk to um, he and his wife on a Thursday. I go on a Thursday. It's no, there's snowstorm Thursday. It's like, uh Oh, and he's like, just please postpone that. And so I called him and postponed it till Monday. And I saw them on Sunday and, they knocked the other offer out of the out of heart because not necessarily monetarily, but with what I was going to be able to do. So um, that's I, yeah, awesome. So, they were going to yeah. give you the control that you you to craft something you wanted to craft. Yes, control with the right kind of guidance. You know what I'm saying? That it's like you know I like having a boss. Totally. I, you know I like being the boss here. Don't get me wrong, but at the same time I still you know because I can just get out there sometimes, and so it's nice to have somebody to like reel me back in occasionally. But um, yeah, so I went to work for him, thought I'd work for he and his wife, Dana, forever, because they're the two of the nicest people to walk the face of the earth, and they're making some fabulous whiskey, and um, got an offer from, um, well, it was not from Drew Colsing. I saw Drew Colsing, the Willet Master Distiller, at a family party thing, and um, he, anyway, he just said, Lisa, what about doing something back in Bardstown? I'm like, what, you know, what have you got? And he said, some people that we've been doing business with for years uh, would like to build a craft distillery in Bardstown. I'd like to recommend you for that project. And so I got hired for that. So we built the new first um, craft distillery in Nelson County, Kentucky, um, and stayed there for a year and a half and um, almost completed the project, not quite, and um, left that project and started my own consulting business. And that's where I got the call for Samson and Surrey to come to Widow Jane. Um, I at first told them no. My boss, Robert Furnessero, called me and I'm like, no, and that I'm not going to move to New York. <laughs> and I have too much to learn in Kentucky. It wasn't that I was opposed to the move part. It was just that, you know, I felt like I was still, there's just so much to learn in this business, right? And I wasn't ready to extract myself from that yet. And um, so anyway, he called again a few weeks later. He's like, Can't, I'm going to fly up to Bardstown to take you to dinner. And 10 minutes into dinner, I thought, oh, I'm going to go to work for this man, right? <laughs> <laughs> and um, he knows, I mean, he knows that, right? I'd say that with him sitting next to me now, but, uh, you know, he's like, I just like, okay, I, I can't tell him no. And so we agreed that I'd have my consulting company. I'd come on as a consultant. And so I was a consultant for a year. Um, and then they, um, seems necessary, asked me if I'd, you know, um, help reassign my other clients. And I did that and brought me on as uh, director of distilling over all the brands. We have six brands in our portfolio we had five at the time and found myself all the time at Widow Jane. And so two years ago, um, a couple weeks ago, it's been over two years now, um, they offered me the job of president and head distiller. And I said, yes. And so I live in Brooklyn 90% of the time now and still have my home in Bardstown. But 
Yeah. That's awesome. Cause that's, you, yeah. that's what uh, you split it between Brooklyn and, and still Kentucky. Yes. But Brooklyn mostly these days. Yeah. Right. How has it been over the past uh, six months? Uh, I, I lived in New York <laughs> for almost 15 years. I, I fond, fond <laughs> memories of Brooklyn, but how with all of this going on, quiet, I suppose. It's quiet. Yeah. For a while, it was just tremendously sad, right? Um, I did go back to Kentucky. We closed the distillery March 18th. Um, you know, we had a couple products to get out and I kept watching the deadlines on those and we got those on the truck one day and closed the distillery the next day because um, the numbers were going insane. And um, the company had asked me to please return home because I didn't, I don't have any family out here. Right. And we're afraid that I would get sick without anyone. And I got home and got sick. So <laughs> I had COVID. I came down with COVID about four or five days after I got home. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sick for 38 days. So, um, I was home three months because we kept the distillery closed for three months and then came back the first week of June and reopened the distillery. So yeah, it's just quiet. People are, you know, it's, it's just, um, you know, when we first, came back and opened back up or is just a little shell-shocked I think and then um after that you know it's like everybody just kind of feeling their way around trying to figure out how to reopen restaurants and bars and things like that so the sidewalks and things have been pretty lively right until right. the weather got cold right and um you know it, it it takes a special kind of you've lived here it takes a special kind of person to you know to live in New York right well and, uh, there's an energy to New York that kind of fuels you like for everything that you give up to be there, that energy, the city's the it's a it's a living thing. The city is your is your roommate. So that energy is what keeps you going. And to have it dampened or or silenced for a minute or two, uh, I, I've not been a huge fan of everybody saying that like New York is over because you could have everybody in the city leave the city and New York wouldn't be over. It would still be New York. You just wouldn't be there anymore. No, it's had so many versions of itself, you know, since, yeah, you know, it was, you know, when it was first founded, it would think about the Revolutionary War going on here in orchards. I mean, this was an orchard down here. You know, you look at the maps from the 18th century and this was farmland, you know, it's crazy. The, uh, you know, how, how um, undeveloped it was for 150 years, really. Most definitely. Uh, the, the history of New York, uh, I think everybody... By everybody, I mean me. Uh, I think when Gangs of New York came out, everybody, oh, I got to read that book. And luckily, that book had nothing to do with the story from the movie, but instead was just like a very intensive history of that area and the time frame. Uh, it, it's it's a remarkable past. Yes, it is. It is. I mean, the history is so rich here, and um, yeah, and I love the culture. You know, I. I learn something every single day that I didn't know before. I, you know, I've never lived in a big city before. So I've lived on the fringes in some suburbs of some larger cities, but never anything like this. And so um, my older kids have all lived in cities though. So, oh, that's um, so funny. So, yeah. So they did it first. Right. And I told <laughs> all three of them, if they hadn't done it, I didn't know that I could have done that. I didn't know that I could, you know, watching them uh, move into a city and maneuver and, um, you know, and, and conquer it right and um yeah yeah i'll never forget the first time my parents came to visit uh my dad could not master the subway not not oh, stick at the subway. well but it wasn't that he couldn't he, he he's uh uh analytical mind so the subway itself like finding out where it was on the grid and getting there and getting your tickets that part he was totally fine with his southern politeness 
when that door opens, you've got like 15 seconds to get your ass out of that subway. And he would sit there. No, after you, by all means, no, yes, please, 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 please. And the next thing, you know, the doors are closing and you're just mouthing to him from, from the window. We'll see you in union square and him looking like a, 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 a wide eyed cat in a window as he pulls off. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, you know, there's me in public transportation. It doesn't mean that I don't use it, but boy, yeah, I'm challenged in every city. (laughs) Well, beauty of New York is you can walk anywhere you want to walk. You can take the subway and get there quicker, but you can walk, uh, uh, except uh, getting to Brooklyn. Now you can walk across the Brooklyn bridge. That that takes a while. That's my my urban hike sometimes because I live about 20, 20 minute walk from the Brooklyn bridge. And so I will, you know, I, well, that's if I decide I'm going to stay in the city to hike, that's where I go. Perfect. Manhattan. Yeah, we used to take our bikes across the Brooklyn Bridge, and that was always, always fun. But I always loved going from Queens to Brooklyn. That was a great bike ride. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how much the architecture changes from one neighborhood to the next through there. And yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, people, you know, people have asked me like, oh, New York, you know, living, you know, they've all visited New York with like a couple of friends, you know, or you find New York is as rude as everybody says. I'm like, no, no, at all. They're, they're efficient. <laughs> they're blunt because they're efficient. Right. You know, so a lot of the, you know, the horn honking stuff, it's not like, you know, like a big, you know, F you it's, uh, it's, a uh, just get on with it. Right. Get it. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. Just, we don't have any time to, we don't have five seconds to waste here. You need to get it. You know, you need to merge on or you need to get off or whatever, but yeah, it's just, you know, some, you know, I've learned that the horn honking occasionally it's because somebody is doing, doing something really stupid, but for the most part, it's just like, let's keep this traffic moving guys. Mm-hmm. You know? So yeah. Efficient know, is I, the best way to describe that city. <laughs> Yeah. So I find people are incredibly friendly, you know, they, it's, you know, it may take them a minute to warm up, but I find everybody warm and friendly. And, yeah, it's great. Well, it's, it's when we got there, it was funny because me coming from down South, my politeness level was to like a million and I wasn't that polite down here, but up there I was seen as like, uh, and, and I'm Southern. So if I make eye contact with you, I'm saying hello that's happening and i learned if you wanted to make a new yorker as uncomfortable as he's ever or she's ever been just go hi how are you and they immediately don't trust you and they immediately don't want to be near you (laughs) yes and and then you can i don't know that it's mistrust or it's just a like self-preservation get out of my way let me get a read on this guy before i go any further (laughs) well and then we're up here so long we move back to north carolina and now i see people in the grocery store and they're like hi how are you and i'm like oh god almighty is that what i was doing to people just just go get your zucchini and leave me alone exactly it's uh i miss it i i i saw one of the pictures you posted of just the sunset with the city uh outline in in that's one of the main things i miss was uh fall and dusk yeah dusk you know and we're just a block and a half from the water so like the valentino pier is literally like over my shoulder a block and a half this way and so you can put the whole i mean the city's out in front of you because you can see lower manhattan but it's like there's no claustrophobia here or anything because you know we don't really have any high rises in red hook and we can see high rises but we're not living among them you know and yep. you go out to the water and 
and um yeah and the sunsets are just phenomenal you know it's just a beautiful place we, we were at the same point in uh, Astoria, only on the other side, uh, where we were right at the water, Astoria Park, right at the water. We had the Triborough Bridge going over, and then you could see down all the way to like Macy's. You, on the clear night, you could see all the way down to the Statue of Liberty. Oh my gosh, it's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. The only hard part about Queens was every time anybody's favorite soccer team won, the entire neighborhood turned into the 4th of July. <laughs> That's awesome. And and our, awesome. our dog hated fireworks. So if uh, if Brazil won, get ready to clean up dog pee because Madison was going to lose it. Uh, everybody, I think uh, they connect whiskey. I, I, you've got two stages of whiskey in your life. I think you've got your whiskey youth where you're drinking whatever you drank just to drink as much as you could of it and get get hammered. And then you've got your like your your second coming of whiskey where you kind of get over that and 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 broaden your palate to what you actually like to drink. So what was your youthful whiskey? What was the whiskey that you drank and that maybe uh, you had second thoughts about whiskey when you remembered? Um, I never had second thoughts about it, but Jack Daniels. Jack Daniels. Yeah. Jack Daniels and apple cider. Yeah, that was like, you know, that was a go to. (laughs) Oh, yes. Uh, Many, many nights of of Jack Daniels. yeah, I won't say any more than that. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that one question. I'm like, there's no way I'm answering that question. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think for me, it was always uh, Jack Daniels was definitely on the list. Um, and then uh, Dickel, oddly oh, enough, yeah. like yeah. there was one friend that always had a handle of George Dickel on hand. And, uh, you know, at 20, I didn't know you were just taking it to the head as quickly as you could. And then now you're, it, it took me a minute to get back into it for that, for that muscle memory reason. Uh, yeah. And now I think Dickel bottled and bond is, is amazing. It is. Oh my gosh. It's great juice. It's yeah. so underrated. I think people stay away from, I don't know why people stay away from it. I, I think people get stigmas about things for for that reason. Maybe they remember it uh, poorly from a previous experience, or maybe it's just not one of those that their friends are asking them to look for when they go to the liquor store. So it like it, it keeps them, it keeps it out of the front of their mind. But I think that's a delicious pour. It is. I totally agree. I love Dickel juice. Uh, so other than uh, Widow Jane, which we're going to try in a moment, uh, what are you drinking right now? I, I, I love the uh, the advice of don't only drink. I'm not going to say it correctly. Don't drink your yeah, own juice. Don't. Yeah, because you're going to start to like it. Yeah, because you get house palate, right? And so you're trying to, you know, do all these blends and things. It's like, oh, this is really. Or even if you're distilling your own stuff, you know, um, I've had even in the last couple of years, a group of distillers and they're opening their own dis- or guys that are opening their own distillery. And they're like, we only drink our own whiskey right now. And it was so flawed. I didn't know what to say. I was trying to be polite. And you know, they're like, anything you can tell us. It's like, Oh my gosh, it's so flawed from the beginning to the end. I don't even know where to start. And they were so sweet, right? They're so, they were so enthusiastic, but I like, Oh, there's a perfect example of don't just drink your own, just because your palate will accommodate anything. Right. You know, it, so or get used to it or whatever and so that's been excellent you know that was just like i said some of the best advice i drink a lot of wine in the evenings especially if i'm doing a lot of blending right um you know through this time of year it's a lot of pinot and that sort of thing but the summertime you know i love the white run varietals like beignet and things but the 
whiskey, but yeah, you know, but I do drink a lot of whiskey too. So. <laughs> a variety, I shouldn't say a lot, a variety of whiskey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so solid, the, I'm loving Stolen Wolf's Rye. Really? Yeah. Yes. That's yeah. awesome. I am, I'm talking, I, I love those guys. I'm, I'm talking to them uh, here pretty soon. Oh, that's awesome. Dick Stoll just passed away just a few weeks ago, right? And he was just, I got the, I had the good fortune to be able to just, you know, just be in the distillery when they were distilling their first rosin rye. Oh, that's awesome. After all those years, right? And it's with the, you know, Laura Fields with the Delaware Valley um, Grain Project and Eric and Dick and yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. Their history is insane. It is insane. It is insane. That is the main reason I, I I just look forward to sitting down with Eric and picking his brain and just just that hearing that story from his perspective. It's going to be awesome. Yes, he's a tremendous human being. He really is. Yeah, he and his wife both they're they're amazing people. So I've had the good fortune to you know to spend a little bit of time with them. So well, that's awesome. I'll, I'll I'll you'll probably talk to him before I will, but I'll still I'll tell him you said hello. Yeah, you you'll end up talking. Yeah, and then Dick's wife Elaine, she's she's just a tremendous human being too. So that's been my, my favorite part about whiskey and talking to people in whiskey so far has been everybody's nice. Like, like nobody has bad stories. I, I'm assuming there are those folks out there that are not at the top of the awesome list, but it seems like whiskey weeds out those people. And uh, I think they, they, I think they like keep themselves away from it. The people that, you know, that, you know, maybe you've had an unfavorable exchange with or something like that. They tend to be, you know, I'm going to make the best whiskey that I'm going to make better whiskey than you do. And da, 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 instead of saying we're all in this together and the more the merrier and, um, but they kind of keep themselves isolated. So it's not like they're out there, you know, causing problems necessarily. It's just that they kind of keep to themselves in the first place. But no, people in this industry, winemakers were great. They were so friendly and wonderful, but not anything like distillers. Distillers are so open-minded and so great about sharing. And nobody's going to take the other person's secret and run with it, you know? So, because um, everybody is so individual and they have their own ideas and their visions about what their brand's going to be and what their pro flavor profile is going to be. And yeah, so these tremendous, you know, exchanges of ideas. and It's a community. It's a community. Just yeah. get out yeah. there and, and let's make the best stuff we can. If I can help you along the way, I will. Absolutely. Yeah, and so many good stories. You know, I, I've had the good fortune to, you know, when I was at Starlight to be invited to go out to George Washington's distillery. And that turned out to be, you know, now it's a four and a half year long relationship with that distillery now. You know, I've been, I've been consulting distiller there for a few years and and uh, yeah you know that that place I've been able to cross paths with so many people you know Steve Ashore that runs that program there the distiller in the Miller and director of trades there he has a knack for inviting you know just some of the just some of the best people right and so that I've had an opportunity to work with them there as well that's awesome and and they brought you out to not teach, but, or, or was it to, to teach? Uh... They were having some, um, you know, after um, a distillery's open for a while, sometimes they, they were, they ferment in wood fermenters. And I had done that at Limestone Branch. And so they were having some, um, you know, some issues with some of their fermentations. And um, yeah, and one of the gentlemen was out at Starlight and I had given him a tour and we started talking. And um, because Ted Huber, my boss, had been instrumental in helping 
um, the George Washington Project, you know, get off the ground in its early years. And, and um, so he's like, oh, you know, Lisa, you know, if you don't mind, I'm not going to be here on a Saturday. Can you go ahead and give these people a tour? And so we start talking and he's like, oh my gosh, I think you can help us, you know, remedy some of the issues that we're having. And um, he's like, you know, I'll, I'll talk to Steve and see if you can come out for a couple of days. So I tell, cause I was distilling six days a week. So I tell, you know, I asked Ted Huber, like, can I have like a whole weekend off? Cause I'd like to go out there. Ted's like, no. Like, okay. Well, and he's like, no, at least he goes, you're going to need four or five days. He goes, you're going to get out there and you're going to love it. And so I went out there and he was right. I loved it. And, um, you know, they actually, you know, took some of my advice and we had a good increase in yields and quality and, so I've been there helping out ever since. But you know, when you're if you're half a, half of the way a decent consultant, you're going to work your way out of a job, you know. So <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like they used to, right? It's like, oh, why did I tell them all that? Because now they don't really need me around there, like like they, like they used to. <laughs> well, that's the goal, though. Like, uh, worked yeah. for ad agencies for years, where a good ad a, a good ad agency is basically putting themselves out of work every time they train up a company that they work for. So they did tell me recently that I ha always have an open invitation there. So it's like, oh, good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's been a remarkable project. I mean, because I love history and um, yeah, it's, uh, it, uh, That's it's awesome. the best of all worlds, you know, and it's so basic there too. You, can, you know, you can't really make any mistakes because I mean, you can make a lot of mistakes, but you, that's what I'm saying. You really there's not a lot of room for error there because you're doing everything by hand. And so trying to keep temperatures up and um, without any, you know, heating, heating after you know outside heating elements or anything and or cooling or whatever and and um working with whatever the ambient temperature is because some you know some years in spring the building's been so cold all winter you can't shake that cold off you know with the fermenters and in the fall it's the opposite sometimes it's still holding the heat from the summer and because we just still in the in march and november there but so you're never doing it the same way twice. There's always something throwing something off that requires you to pivot and, and make some changes so that yeah. it stays consistent. And that's what I love. I love that's it. the challenge, right? It's right. Uh, this comedy and bourbon distilling are are miles apart, but they're kind of similar in their uh, in their core. Like you can go out and tell the same joke the same way every night, but the crowd might be different. And you're going to have to change it or tweak it or make something work so that they go with you on the journey. If, if you just follow the same recipe all the time, it gets boring for, for your head anyway. Yeah, my, my mentor, Dave Sherrick, he said, you know, um, you know, we've had a lot of debate about the title Master Distiller, right? And I just, although I'm allowed to call myself that here, I've chosen not to, you know, because I have too much respect for the, for the old guard, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, but he's like, you're really truly not a Master Distiller until you can deal with those shits all the time, right? But like, everybody can run a distillery, but you need to know what to do when things aren't working out. Right. Yep. You need to have that in your back pocket that everything's going right, right now, but in a minute it might not be, yeah. which is another, like, your, your mentor. I mean, you, you just keep name dropping and they're all awesome people. How did you end up with him as a mentor? Oh my gosh. Just, yeah, just, you know, good luck. Right. I was, um, um, you know, I had done some wine judgings and when I moved over to spirits, I had, you know, was, you know, thinking it would, might be a few years before I ever have a possible opportunity and a snowstorm hit and the, um, judging was going to be for ACSA and it's just outside of Louisville where they do that. And so they called Steve Beam and said, you know, can you find somebody else? And he's like, I can bring Lisa cause he was going to judge. 
he's like, I can bring Lisa, you know, she's got a great palate and, and um, I'll bring her. And so I got there and Sherrick's one of the first people I met. That's and awesome. we just started talking and we hit it off and, um, you know, continued our conversations and had lunch a couple times here and there and, you know, kind of work through the limestone branch thing. And when I got fired at limestone branch, we'd already had lunch scheduled, you know? And so, um, I had, had a stress fracture from the work there, um, because the work was so heavy and, um, finally my leg didn't, you know, gave oh, way. No. And, and so I'm on crutches and he's like, Oh my gosh, you cannot go looking for another job on those crutches. You gotta get rid of those crutches. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm trying, I'm trying. And, um, yeah, yeah. So I got really lucky. You know, he saw something in me, um, and and you know re- has really challenged me. You know, he pushes me hard, and like he he was out here for one of his brands in New York, and so he came to the distillery, and I was so proud of what, you know what I've accomplished here so far. And I was just a couple of years ago, and so I'm showing him around and telling him what I've done, and he's like, "Well, that's great, but what about all this stuff over here? What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Can you give me five minutes?" can you just give me five but he's the best he's the best I mean he's always at the end of, other end of the phone when I need him and um always has the right answer you know or, or makes me come up with the right answer right you know right. he'll you know feed me a couple different scenarios and, and like oh I know okay I, I know now I know the solution sometimes he, he'll say oh I didn't know the solution I just kind of like you know setting you up to figure it out that's awesome. I mean, as a mentor should, giving yeah. you the tools to do, to, to grow and keep the brain working. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Uh, I, I could, I could literally uh, talk to you all day. I know you're a very busy person. Um, I, I, I do want to get to, you sent me a delicious bottle of, of, uh, of goodness of some good bourbon. So I would like for you to walk me through that in a moment. I was going to ask you, uh, uh, Coming into the industry, I don't think gender has played a role in your, like, it doesn't sound like it has held you back. It doesn't sound like you have always just let your knowledge and, and love of the industry carry you upward. Uh, has, has, it, has it, did you face any boys club mentality when you were getting started? Yeah, you know, I've had some, but you just, you know, I'm old enough that you know, a different generation. I, I wouldn't necessarily give the same advice to my daughters, but some of it I just have let roll off my back. I choose to take it and just flush it away, you know, and, and try to concentrate. Um, the most interesting challenge I was given was by a young man one time. And he's like, you know, you're playing a young man's game. Oh yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And that was about five years ago. And just want to immediately elbow that guy in the face. No, I just said, I shrugged my shoulders and said, I know. We'll see what I can do with it. So, um, yeah, you know, it was, it was subtle, but it was direct, you know, and, um, but yeah, the rest of it, you just, you know, you can't, you can't have the, you know, you can't have the dark without the light, right. Or the highs without the lows. You that's know? true. So, that's, and that's any, anything, I think. Anything, right. Yeah. But you have really had an amazing career. Like when you look back at everything you've accomplished and now Widow Jane is just so good, like to put out a product of this quality after the history you've already had. I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing project here. I'm really proud of um, the team here. Um, you know, we're a very small but mighty team for the amount of um, product that we're putting out. It's, uh, um, yeah, it's a remarkable group. And, and what's next? What, what's Widow Jane got in store for the future? 
Oh, well, hopefully the expansion, right? You know, mm-hmm. the, the whole COVID thing, you know, I, I'm in touch with our architects and our engineers, you know, so it's still, it's still on deck. So yeah, getting everything repatriated. I've still got a lot of barrels to lay down in Kentucky um, during the transition time, but um, yeah, just, you know, keep expanding and growing, but not lose sight of who we are and what we're doing and what the juice tastes like, right? It's always trying to put the best juice out every single day. Most definitely. And uh, from what I've seen so far, you are succeeding. Uh, last question before we taste the, the the juice. Who would be on your Mount Rushmore of distillers? Oh, Dave Sherrick. Without a doubt. Yeah, he's, you know, an unsung hero. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that for some reason don't know his name in the industry. You know, he's a whiskey advocate, lifetime achievement award winner, you know. So, um, but people in the industry know him. Everyone in the industry knows him, right? And um, yeah, he's just a walking encyclopedia and a tremendous human being. And uh, he and his family, you know, they're, they're amazing people. Perfect. Very good answer. All right. And so now we are going to uh, taste. Um, I've had it open for a minute or two so that it can, it can breathe for a second. We're going to taste the, uh, the 10-year. And Looks like it was a little out of the top. It's the, uh, it's the, we either missed our fill level or it's not completely, it was not completely. It's the angel share. (laughs) (laughs) Like that is not a full bottle. (laughs) The, um, uh, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) As you should have. I mean, as you should have. (laughs) Well, I, I now want to taste it, uh, with, with somebody with a palate more refined than mine, uh, walking me through it well when we started you were tasting something so i felt like i should be tasting something too it'll it'll teach me to have like a second bottle back here so that i can not get high on the, my own supply before we get started yeah, absolutely so you've been doing this for so long uh i get a lot of questions of people that aren't sure how to taste uh aren't sure how to like refine their palate what advice would you give somebody that's just starting out and uh uh, how to recognize what their what their nose and what their what their mouth is tasting first find something they enjoy drinking i mean you know don't drink it because your best friend said oh my gosh this is the best whiskey in the whole world and you're stupid if you don't like it right so don't don't ignore that person right and find something that you like um repetition I remember when I started um, blending wine and, or even working in the winery and my boss is like, oh my gosh, this wine's got Britannomyces or this wine has got Acetobacter or this wine's got this issue. It's like, how does he know this? How can he just barely smell it and know immediately? And then all of a sudden it happens because it's just the repetition. You do it over and over and over again. And all of a sudden, the other thing is make sure you can't, you can't come up with all of the flavors if you don't like expand your food and food selections, right? You know, if you just have to expose yourself to lots of things, right? And right, because you can't say, oh yeah, this tastes like such and such if you've never tasted that, whatever that is, right? So um, I, you know, if you if you're kind of narrow minded about what you eat, I would highly recommend, you know, kind of expanding. If you only eat mac and cheese, then everything you is going. Mm, I'm getting a lot of craft out of this one. <laughs> That's it. Exactly. That's it exactly. So yeah, you know, and there's no wrong way, you know, don't, don't let anybody tell anybody that there's not, you know, they're, they're not doing it right. One of the things that they do all the time, and it's a great place to start. Like if you go on the tours in Kentucky, 
um, and they're teaching people how to taste and smell whiskey, one of the things they always say is open your mouth, you know, you can smell better. I do all my blending with my mouth closed. So, you know, it's just personal preference. That is the perfect place to start, but then experiment a little bit and see if that's working for you or not working for you. Maybe after you've had, you know, started drinking whiskey on a regular basis, you may have a better idea, um, you, you know, without going through all of that, but, um, you know, of where, where you need to be, but it's repetition. It really is repetition. And as you keep doing it, uh, I'm, I'm finding because I'll be sitting on the we'll be watching television after the kids go to bed or something. And I'll be sitting there just just tasting whiskey to taste it. And and it, it kind of blows my wife's mind sometimes because she's like, are, 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 again, and I'm like, well, I'm not I'm not <laughs> I'm not chugging it. I, I'm, I'm analyzing it for lack of a better word. Right, because it's enjoyable, right? It's, it's complex yeah. and you get something that you didn't get last time. I think repetition is the best advice you could give somebody because you're going to yeah. get, it's just going to grow. Right, and that's the other thing to experiment. Let the whiskey open up. You know, sometimes you'll, like the, our, the 15-year-olds that we've released, they need to be in the glass for a minimum of 15 minutes because they just, you know, they're not the same whiskey when you pour it and you sip on it for 45 minutes and it is not the same whiskey towards the end. There's so much going on that when whiskey that old, that it just wants to keep evolving. So, you know, let it open up a little bit, you know, lots of times I'll pour it and then just cap it with something. You don't have to have anything fancy. You can use a, you know, a notepad or something to throw over the top of it, but, um, you know, start trapping the nose on it a little bit. You know, if you're trying to learn it, you know, concentrate all the, yeah, concentrate all the aromas and everything in there. Um, you know, the old swirl because it, you know, I brought that over from winemaking. So, you know, I still swirl everything before I taste it, but, I do think that it helps release some of the um, the aromas in it, you know. Um, right, right now, obviously, I'm working in my my down jacket because we don't have any heat here. <laughs> it's 30 something outside, so which means here it's like 30 something inside. Um, it's not quite cold. It's probably in the 40s in here today. But um, yeah, so my glass is cold. So I actually this I actually have a baby bottle warmer that. <laughs> <laughs> the winter series, it can get a little brutal here so sometimes like if i'm blending something you know i'll have to put it it's a little rustic here and um yeah you know but let your hands warm it up because if it's this time of year because you'll start the whiskey will start to change a little bit see if you like it that way better maybe you like it you know a little bit colder out of the bottle you know it's just like repetition and kind of experimenting your own personal personal um style i guess I, I think we still have a baby bottle warmer i'm, I'm, I'm going to try that just to see what happens <laughs> yeah only when it's really cold if you got your you know you're like in a heated home you don't need it when you're in an unheated workspace yeah you know i i do not miss uh the the new york winter that is not on my i, I I'm, I'm totally fine being in north carolina listening to people talk about how 66 is cold today yes <laughs> Yeah, the humidity here. So being on the water with everything surrounded by water, I thought I knew humidity in the middle part of the country. And I lived, you know, I lived in South Georgia too. And you think, you know, I mean, that's humidity, right? Oh yeah. But here, the humidity and the cold is, but it was never winter there, you know? So right. here, combining that humidity with the cold. Is it, it's, it's insane. And then on the other hand, nobody had me prepared for the summers in New York either. Like when you're trapped uh, in that concrete jungle and it turns it up to like 106, you, you feel like you're in a frying pan. Yeah. That's the reason so many people that could afford had summer homes, right? When they, <laughs> right, just right. they had to escape the city because it's just so hot. Right? It's so hot. And you have the perfect escape. You can just go down to Kentucky and, and summer in paradise. 
yeah, it's, it's pretty hot in Kentucky. Too. True, true. But you've got. <laughs> that's the reason so good because, you know, we got all those, the temperature extremes, right? That's right. Well, that's one of the things we talked about last time. Uh, when we were in New York, I was Lafroy all the way. Like it was just the perfect cold weather. Yes, it is. PD. Just love it. Love it. Love it. And then you move down south and you're trying to drink Lafroy on a cold day and it's still lower 70s and you're like this is it needs that chill in the air for it to actually do what it's supposed to do yeah i can see that yeah uh so now we've 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 uh we've swirled we're i'm gonna smell I usually encourage people not just taste it after the first smell too. like go back and revisit it a time or two. Like I said, everybody's got their own thing. So, you know, other people might do this and say, that's not right. That's not right for me, but. Well, and uh, as communal as it is, I feel like people do get judgy on this part. Like, like there, I've had so many people like, no, you, 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 you do it like this. And you're like, well, just do it the way you do it. You're going to absorb it the way you need to absorb it. Right. Right. And that's the reason they've, you know, they've discovered what's best for them and, you know. Totally. They think they're being helpful. I mean, you know, my, my, my children are all, you know, a little dabble in the whiskey world, some of them more than others. And uh, my son, oh, his son-in-law is uh, um, the chef for Maker's Mark. Really? Yeah. Yes. And my daughter, she's, uh, you know, on the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. They lived in Chicago and moved to Kentucky six seven years six years ago and um um i never dreamed i'd live in the same state with my grown kids but they literally up, live up the street now and then my son he's getting ready to judge his third world world whiskey awards he's an attorney and lobbyist in dc but he whiskey's his advocation and uh fortunately his uh fiance she's wonderful and she's taking up the whiskey drinking as well and then my youngest daughter and son-in-law are in nashville and uh major consumers <laughs> oh that's awesome she has a remarkable palette too she's you know, my youngest has got um back in my wine blending days i'd run stuff by her um you know it's like do you like sample number one better or sample number two because her palette was so good you know but, uh, my palate's still growing like i'm trying and 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 absorbing as much as i can uh my wife's palate is off the chart like immediately like the first time i <laughs> asked her to try something she was like and just nailed it like like oh yeah we have that gender advantage you know it's been proven by science that we can smell and taste better (laughs) so yeah sorry no i'm not denying that one because i was sitting there like like i didn't she didn't know any of the cheat words like she didn't know oh i taste a hint of caramel with some vanilla she just nope right out of the gate just nailed it that's awesome that's awesome all right so now i'm gonna go in for a taste uh what should i what should i be looking for um, you know what, it, you know, you hear about the, like the Booker No Kentucky Chew, that is definitely something, you know, if you're just, if you're just sitting and enjoying your whiskey, don't worry about all this stuff. You really do want to break it down, you know, where you keep it, but you just keep it and just work it all over your tongue, right? In lots of places. Um, and then, you know, and after you swallow it, just really think about what you've just tasted and smelled because you'll taste things, you know, even the outside of your tongue that you want. Don't get hung up on what part of your tongue, you know, tastes salty and sweet and all that sort of stuff. Just, um, you know, see what's best for you. And then same thing, if you need to start out with adding a little bit of water first, you know, you try to take a little tiny sip of it and it's just too hot because I like a little bit of heat in, in my whiskey because it balances all those sweet flavors, especially in bourbon. Completely. 
suite, you know. So um, I'm always looking for a balanced heat and um, and anything that's representative of the thing, you know, can, can you break out the grain? Can you break? And that's where I say too, you know, taste everything. So, you know, when we get grain in here, but you can do this on your own, you can, you know, taste flour. I know people like will be going, what are you doing? You're like, well, I'm going to pinch this flour and I'm going to taste this whole wheat flour. I'm going to taste this bread flour. Um, I'm going to taste the cornmeal. I'm going to taste, you know, malted barley, right? People forget that malted barley is what makes malted milk powder right. and malted milk balls, right? So, um, you know, there's a lot of malt flavors and a lot of things. They use malt syrup and a lot. So, um, you know, get familiar with those flavors outside, you know, think about through what, what's in this whiskey and, you know, try to taste those ingredients that went into it, you know, and you can start to see what the influence, especially with, you know, there's, there's a whole argument about Tawar and whiskey. Absolutely. Whiskey has Tawar. There's no way to not have Tawar and whiskey, right? Because, Every person cooks the grain a little bit differently. The water's going to be a little different. The corn's going to be a little different. You know, it's all of those influences. Absolutely, you know, new distillate. Like at, like at Mount Vernon, the new distillate there, it's a little bit of a sponge. And so you've got these wood fires under the, the stills, right? But that, you know, people are like, oh my gosh, you used some smoked grain. And like, no, it's the smoke that it's absorbed from the distillation process. Wow. To bring some of those smoky notes into it sometimes. So, um, yeah, there's definitely, you know, Tawar and whiskey, right? So anything that you can think of during that, um, mineral water, you know, we use our water. Um, oh, yeah, we talk about the water. Oh, the water. Yeah, we got our water. We have a, a cave up in Rosendale, New York. It was a man-made cave. They used to mine um, limestone out of it. And um, then when they abandoned the mines, they filled up with water. And so that water is literally filtering through all that limestone. That's where Widow Jane gets its name. We do not draw water from the Widow Jane mine. It backs up on our on our cave. You can actually visit the Widow Jane mine because it's open to the public. It's um, behind us, the Snyder House historic site, the Century House up in Rosendale. So they do concerts in there and all sorts of things. That's where the folklore comes from with the name, and that's where Widow Jane got its name from, that Rosendale folklore. So then that, that I had a, um, hired, we hired some geologists and uh, water people, and so that backs up on us, you know, so we're in the same hill, but we come in, obviously our cave is under lock and key. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, I am known to be very particular about product quality, and, you know, and I'll make cave visits, you know, make sure everything's going okay, and um, yeah, you know, we send that water out all the time for testing and making sure that, you know, it's as pure as we can get it and, and, uh, not we get it, nature can get it, but, right. um, yeah. So I also encourage people like that cause that's mineral water, right? So it's adds a minerality to our, um, whiskey. It definitely brings what makes widow Jane, widow Jane, because it brings forth, it brings out some notes. Like if you'll use distilled water or let some famous, maybe some famous French mineral water go flat that mineral water recipe is almost the same as what our recipe, I mean, what the mineral content is for our cave. They're almost identical. Oh, wow. So I had it broken down and, and matched them up to different mineral waters. So if you take that mineral water and let it go flat and try um, cutting your whiskey with it a little bit versus, especially the, we don't have a castor whiskey because we can't, because we wouldn't put, it wouldn't have our water in it and our water is what brings forth some notes in it. So, um, but you can do it on your own with a cast drink whiskey and try some with some distilled water, try some with that flat mineral water and you'll see what the difference is. You'll be amazed what notes you'll pick up out of the one with the mineral water in it versus the one with the distilled water in it. Beautiful. And, and, and who was widow Jane in the, fo in the folklore? 
Um, in Widow Jane in the folklore, they don't know if she was the wife or mistress of this man, Snyder, that owned all of the mines. Um, the mines produced a hardening agent for it was some, the cement, right? Um, and the cement is, that's the reason we use the images of the Empire State Building and Grand Central Station. Um, it's what holds the White House together, the Washington Monument. Um, and all, it was this really clean, strong, beautiful cement. And these buildings all have still have the original cement in them. But Rosen, um, Rosendale cement went out of business when Porter cement was discovered. It was a whole lot less expensive. Okay. And it just, you know, just put Rosendale out of business. But Porter cement isn't as pretty. It doesn't last as long, um, but it costs a lot less. And so that's what happened to it. So anyway, Widow Jane was either his wife or mistress. And apparently he was a really horrible person and treated people very poorly. And after he passed away, this widow Jane was known to be a very kind woman. So like I said, some people say a wife, some people say mistress, some people say she didn't really exist. That was the nickname for the widow Jane mine. You know? Okay. So, okay. The lovely thing about folklore, it's always based on truth, right? Totally. But, There's always a hair of something in there. Yeah. But you know, as it gets passed through generations and storytelling, you know, it, it takes on a life of its own, but. Totally. Yeah. That's awesome. That's uh, I love the history of, of, it's from the mine that built New York and you're a distiller in New York. I mean, it just, it just couldn't have worked out any better. Yeah, I know it. I know it all comes together. All right. I'm going to go in for a sip. You're going to have one with me. Yes. All Cheers. Right. Cheers. Good talking to you. So good. Thanks. It's so balanced. There's, there's dimensions to it. There's like a volume. I love the end of it. I think the end of it's my favorite part. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm big on the trying to work on the finish. But it doesn't always work. Sometimes it works better than others, you know. Sometimes it's more of a mid-palate whiskey. Sometimes it's, you know, more about the finish. Oh, it's, it's very good. Um, always working to get it balanced, you know. It's, you know, we all know this, right? You can put two sister barrels down next to each other and they can taste completely different. So if I'm blending five batches of whiskey... You know, Duncan, our barrel manager, will bring me all this, you know, all these samples. And, and you know, I've said this before in some interviews, like, but you put the first, the first batch together and it comes together fairly quickly. And like, oh, well, that was good. This would be easy day. And then you get to the second one. That's great. And then you get to the third one, like, oh, no, none of these whiskeys match each other. So you got to borrow back out of the first batch. Oh. Back the middle batch. So, you know, it's like, let's make a deal, you know, and. Uh, until you can get everything balanced or you say, Hey, Duncan, what else do you have out there? You know, can, can you bring me some more samples because I'm not getting these things balanced today, but I think it's evolution too, because we bought some, we bought some whiskey, um, that, um, was beautiful and very simple and, um, but it, didn't drink as old as the age statement was on it. And so we moved those barrels to a completely different lower profile warehouse. And now those barrels are coming on strong. It's like they wanted to catch up. So, so the barrels that I was using at the beginning of the time that I was blending Widow Jane, you know, they've started to catch up and, and you know, get pick up a lot more tannin and a little bit more personality. So before they were kind of sitting in the background while I was, use, while I was using some of these other barrels that had a lot more, um, um, you know, what am I trying to say? A lot more personality to them. And now the ones that didn't have that are like catching up. It's like, whoa, I got all. <laughs> well, that's the Rubik's Cube. All talking to me right now. 
<laughs> that's that's awesome though. That's the Rubik's yeah. cube of the whole thing. That that's. Do you feel that's part of the benefit of being a, a, a craft distillery that you get the chance oh, to do that? Absolutely. I mean, there's you know that's the joy of it, right? There's you know we've literally sat down. You know, and I keep looking at these beautiful labs. You know, there's like oh my gosh, this is our blending lab, and I am like oh my gosh, that's just a beautiful lab. And here I blend on a table upstairs. I blend at my desk. <laughs> Um, I've blended, they've overnighted me bottles. I've blended in Los Angeles, in Virginia, in Chicago, in Kentucky. And, um, you know, and so I, I travel with plastic labware in my suitcase. Oh, that, no, that sounds awesome. <laughs> lab or something, right? It was like, oh my gosh, what is this woman doing? I'm, I'm sure and, they give uh, you looks at uh, when you go through the airport line. I've only had it pulled out a couple of times, like the graduated cylinder, you know, like, <laughs> I'm sure they've seen everything, right? So, um, yeah, you know, but, uh, yeah, so the, the craft part, and what I tell people too about the five barrel small batch, it's not any different than even one of the big guys that has a single barrel. I mean, you, that's why we go back and back, you know, again and again to, you know, four rows of single barrel because they all have such different personalities, right? It's like, right. Ah, that one's so good. And the next one, like, oh, it's delicious. It's not my, it, I don't like it as well as I did the first one, but, you know, let me try a third bottle, right? And so it's the same thing with Widow Jane. Our, you know, some of them have, um, you know, they, they'll go one direction and the next batch will go a little bit different, but there's two things I'm always looking for. We have a dark stone fruit note, which is sometimes dark cherry, sometimes plum. Um, and, um, then we have, um, baking spice. Mm -hmm. And so when I blend, that's what I'm looking for first. When I hit those notes, then I know that I can kind of go whatever direction after that. So the but cherry I is the sweetness that I'm getting. Yeah. And sometimes it's outright cherry. Sometimes it was just like outright dark cherry um, note, but it's certainly, um, like I said, dark stone fruit. Sometimes it comes out like a dark, dark plum kind of peel kind of flavor. But Beautiful. Well, that's, that's the first sweet that you really get is, is that dark fruit sweet. It's a phenomenal whiskey. It really is. Yeah. The sweetness too, for as bold as the whiskey is, you know, it's something that's important as well and keeps it a little bit rounder. Well, it's like you were talking about the heat a moment ago. Uh, we've all started, uh, me and everybody I like to, to commiserate with on whiskey, we've all kind of graduated to that uh, upper hundred level. Um, and, and it's a great way to start the evening just because it's going to be the most robust flavor you get of the night. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, I, I, want to thank you i have kept you longer than um i longer than i got, I I got my blending done duncan's out dumping barrels for my next round right now so it's good oh perfect <laughs> so so what do you do between rounds? like how do you uh reset the palette between rounds oh my gosh um water water and uh unsalted saltines pretty much um i do i have all kinds of little tricks you know um um carbonated water is I like better than, than still water. Um, but I still use still water, you know, um, I'm really careful. I, this sounds crazy, but unscented lotion, unscented deodorant, um, right, not right. Only the best shampoo for my hair, but the one that smells the least. Right. Um, totally. And so, you know, you just try to keep that about you all the time. Unscented laundry, laundry detergent. Um, and nothing that could distract. Lot. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then, um, you know, some days there's, um, I take Claritin, not the kind that you can, not the kind that the pharmacist keeps behind the counter, the one that you can buy in front of the counter. Right, right. Not the meth Claritin. <laughs> the meth Claritin, <laughs> the other Claritin. And so I take that every day. 
because it helps clear up. There's just something that enhances, you know, your sense of taste and smell. But it's, I take it every single morning because I found out by accident, I think I was doing a judging or something and I was, you know, fighting allergies a little bit. And I took it as like, oh my gosh, my whole world was like, oh, actually it wasn't a judging. It was back when I was um, blending wine and I found out it's like, oh my gosh, everything is so much clearer and easier to taste and smell. And so I've done that for years now. Um, you know, I don't know what it's doing to the rest of me, but that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. You're just going to be uh, getting me some Claritin as soon as I get to the yeah. next time I go to the store. Yeah. I'm real particular about toothpaste, you know, all of it. Right. You know, <laughs> well, I mean, that, what I those lunch, are your tools. Yeah. And you know, it's like, there's certain days it's like, ah, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that for lunch. I didn't know I had, you know, and so I have to put it off. You know, my staff here is great because you know, they know sometimes like it's, not going to happen to, and, and I, I always have to put this disclaimer. I was like, I'm not a diva. I just, it's not, it's not. <laughs> well, no, you, you know what you need. It, it's, yeah. it's, a, yeah. it, just, it's a palette. Like it's a, it's a, it's your tool that you work with and you know it. So you're just being fair to yourself by not putting yourself in a position to do it poorly. Fair to the brand really, you know, cause I, yeah, you just don't want to do it when you're compromised at all, you know? Yeah. yeah. When we were at the winery and we're doing blending and they would bring buses of, um, you know, like ladies from the senior center and they would all wear so much perfume. And if I walked to the office through the tasting room and they were there, I was out for the rest of the day. I learned early on. It's like, I can't taste or smell anything the rest of the day. Cause oh, it wow. really you know, I mean, you can, if you're enjoying a glass of wine, but if you're trying to break things down and do a blend, you know, it's, it, you just can't after that. So. Well, and, and you're tasting it for like the full boomerang. You're, you're trying to taste it for what you're wanting it to be. And then also looking for what shouldn't be there. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's the part that blows my mind. Like, uh, if, if I was talking to, um, to Greg Metz and he was telling me like, if you taste dill, that was not an intentional taste. That's not, yeah. Uh, that's pickle which is acetobacter which is vinegar spoilage in the in the mash yeah which is just hilarious to me because i could picture somebody you know like mm, oh i get hints of dill oh they did what they they did a good job on this one this this dill bourbon that they mm, mm, mm. maybe he was going a different direction but that's where my mind is it's like uh, acetobacter spoilage in the mash yeah but, but yeah but that's a, that was that was where he was going with it was just the um you guys are trained to not only you like like getting it the way you want it is is like the fun part and then you're you've got the other side of your your face trained to to pick out the flaws and yeah, I, think, I have a couple jar at home and it's the first stuff i ever distilled you know it's like a like a little pint jar it's about half full and i used to take a sip of it now i can't even get close to it, it smells so bad <laughs> I was so proud of myself that it, that I'd made it, you know, it's like, right. Oh, I'm going to keep a little of my first distillate and, you know, and, and anyway, yeah, I've come a long way. <laughs> <laughs> you could probably yeah. sell that on eBay and, uh, and, and, and make a mint. Yeah. Yeah. And, and coming from winemaking too, because the spoilage isn't the same, but similar, you know, in fermentations and wine, it's just, you know, it's just really in your face. And so those flavors will just, you know, distill over. People think, oh, well, you can go ahead and distill it. It won't, it won't taste anymore. Well, you do. And they're like, oh, well, we can put, like Sherrick says, bad in, bad out. You know, you can distill it and people are like, oh, it'll, I'll distill it out of there and I'll put it in a barrel and nobody will ever notice. And you do notice all it is is five years with the still the same flaws that it came over in the distillation, you know? Wow. So. And and those are the, the choices you have to make. Like, like, you know, that, like, you know, it's going to come back to bite you if you just keep running with it. 
Yeah. And it's hard because, you know, people, when they're setting up a, a distillery, they've spent so much time and money in it. They're always way over budget and way behind schedule. And, you know, every drop's going to count for their bottom line. And so, you know, I'm sympathetic to it. You know, I understand why it gets done, you know, but um, yeah, you know, I try to encourage people when I had consulting clients to like distill two or three times and don't bear all that stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. Keep it aside. You know, if you have to redistill it, you know, we'll, we'll figure something else out to do with it, but don't, you know, get so tied up in it that, um, cause you don't want to ruin your brand down the road. You, know, you don't, I think this is my first impression of this brand. They won't come back. My, my goal is always to sell the third bottle. Right. You can always sell the first bottle, no matter how crazy the product is because it's a novelty, but you want to be able to sell the second, third bottle because the second bottle is like, okay, well I finished that first bottle. I have a second bottle. Like, oh, I'm getting tired of that. You don't want, you want, you want to sell that third. You want, you want it to turn into a staple on somebody's bar. Totally. You know, maybe not our special releases, right? But, you know, but the, you know, your flagship is, you just, I'm always shooting for that third bottle. Well, this right here, I mean, I, I could see this being like your daily go-to. This is just smooth and robust and balanced. It really is very good. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Well, um, I want to thank you. I've kept you well longer than I should have. I appreciate, uh, well, no, wait, real quick. Uh, what was it you said um, about distilling that you were just speaking to how much money goes into it at the beginning? It's like a reverse pyramid scheme. Oh yeah. Reverse pyramid scheme. Yeah. Cause you're, the money's all going out. The, if you're barreling, you know, barreling spirits to lay down for a while, you know, you just keep building the money out the door. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. Uh, yeah. So thank you so much for coming on today. I, I really do appreciate it. I, I, I could talk to you all day long. Uh, yeah, I, very much thank you and uh it's been a pleasure and i will sing from the rafters that everybody should go pick up a bottle of this delicious juice i appreciate uh your time and uh, again it's been another good conversation so thank you so much thank you yeah i look forward to our paths crossing next year <laughs> oh i hope so i hope so all right, everybody, there you have it. There is this week's episode. I want to thank Lisa Wicker for being on. Uh, just such a fun person to talk to. Just a genuinely nice person. Can't say enough good things about her or Widow Jane, the product. I've been sipping on it all week in, in preparation for this episode to come out. It's just gotten better. It's rested for a couple weeks since her and I have talked, and it's even better than it was when I was drinking it with her on the episode. So go out, get yourself a bottle of Widow Jane. Uh, go get yourself a bottle of the Bloody Butcher. It, it, it's I, I want some. If you can find it, send me some. I want it. Go to YouTube later this week. We'll have the video version of this episode up online. You can also find us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, anywhere podcasts are. Subscribe, like, do all the things. Go over to Instagram, like us there. I wish everybody a happy holidays. This is the last episode before the Christmas break. So everybody, enjoy. Just to have a great holiday season. It's been a hard year, and we've all, we all deserve some holiday cheer this year. So raise a glass, kick some ass. My name's Jesse Jones. This is the Bourbon Showdown Podcast. I'll talk to everybody next week. Have a good one, everybody. Happy holidays.
I usually encourage people not to stay 